Once again, good morning, good afternoon, depends wherever you are, to our show on books, books and beverages. I'm your host, Fred Kumar. Where's the beverage? <laughs> We're having a beverage. Oh, yeah. And Angela is making a point here that um, I've offered her a very low grade uh, beverage <laughs> instead of our usual wine and whiskey and so on. You know? But it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. Yes, no, so. no, yes. Let's, let's, let's keep note of that, please. <laughs> yeah, so I'm your host, and we're doing this uh, under the auspices of City Press, whereby we interview top authors locally and internationally. So in the studio today, we are joined by Angela Makolwa, a novelist of note and journalist and a PR consultant. But here she is um, joining us in her capacity as a novelist, uh, the author of Critical but stable, I'm mentioning because it's in the news right now. It was uh, published locally uh, a couple of, of years ago, but now it's been reassigned, given a new lease of life, uh, published in the States, and it will be launched as in the next uh, few um, weeks. But she's going to speak us uh, through through the whole process, where the process is at the moment, because the book hasn't been launched there over there yet. And we've got... Uh, she's published, as I say, a number of um, uh, highly received, highly rated novels uh, in South Africa on contemporary issues, gender, violence, um, and social class, and, uh, and many other things that she's going to speak to us about. So we are here to just tease her out on her journey as a writer. So perhaps we start with the book that is in the news right now, and then we retrace our, our steps back to where you started, how you started. Sure. Okay. I'm waiting for a question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You started with Red Ink. Yes. That was your first novel. Yeah. And it has uh, just been reprinted with a new cover overseas and all that. Take us through that journey culminating in critical possible. Okay, yeah. so Red Ink, I wrote in uh, 2006, 2007. Um, so it was my debut novel, and its genesis actually was from an encounter that I'd had with somebody that I had intended to interview um, as a journalist. His name is Moses Tola. I suppose I can mention it now because I think there's enough time that has passed. Yes. So I, so he was a serial killer at the time, and you know he'd been terrorizing and horrifically, um, you know, killing women, and um, um, so this was around 1995. So I'd followed the case right until he was sentenced, and then when he was imprisoned, I wrote to him, wanting to you know, just have an interview with him, you know, behind bars for him to tell just I, what I was curious about as a woman and as somebody who kind of fitted his victim profile because his victim profile was young black women, job seekers. <laughs> and and I wanted to understand because we'd not in South Africa had that level of criminal before uh, we we'd, ne we'd not dealt with serial homicide sure. um, you know in the in the mid 90s and also remember this was literally just coming from our democracy receiving our democracy he, he has since died almost no he's not he calls he calls me still really? he's still very much alive okay. he has moved prisons like he's moved correctional facilities over time he's now in uh, in limpopo the louis trichard uh, facility it's a it's a it's a maximum security private 
uh, prison. Mm. Um, so that's where he is now. So, so basically the book was based on him. I interviewed him and he wanted me to write a book about him, which I at first was, you know, uh, skeptical about, but eventually I did, I did decide to take on the project because I thought it was important to understand the psychology of somebody like that. Um, the psychology of evil, essentially. Sure, sure. Yeah. But the, your next book was very different from... from it was that. much lighter, because yeah, I needed light, yeah, that yeah. light relief, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. making that transition, just tell us about that. What does it, it was, do to your headspace as a writer? As a, as a it woman? was yeah. much needed. It was much needed because red ink was very dark. Um, and, and so with the 30th candle, I was actually turning 30 at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wanted to talk about being a young woman um, and the pressures, I suppose, when you reach that milestone. And I think it's not, it doesn't apply to only women. There's a certain social pressure that comes with different milestones. Mm-hmm. And 30 is one of those big ones where, you, you know, at, at the time, at least, I felt that you need, I needed to be somewhere in, with regards to my relationships and my career. And I needed to have achieved, a, like, ch- ticked a couple of boxes in terms of, I don't know, um, the things that you attain in life um, to be seen, to be grown up. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, once you hit tw- thirty, you know, be, in your twenties, you can still get away with, you know, kind of juvenile <laughs> behavior. I would uh-huh. say, at least at the time, that's how I felt. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, um, it was interesting and 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 um, I, I suppose quite enriching for me to explore things that were different, uh, uh, issues that were different from, um, you know, that darkness, uh, that, that criminality and that grittiness and just deal with normal issues that young people, you know, deal with. And, um, yeah, and it was extremely well received. And it was, and I think it was my first foray into uh, what, what I'm now seen as, which is a, a kind of comical, I mean, I, I, I do bring in a lot of comedy in my, in my writing, even the darker type of writing. I do bring in a lot of comedy, so yeah. yeah I see a lot of uh, P.G. Woodhouse, and I, I, I <laughs> love com- comedy, uh, I comedy love writing and reading. Yeah, yeah. and we've, we've seen that a uh, light thread um, flowing through your next your next uh, projects, um, where you deal with uh, gender issues, obviously, but also class. Class comes in strongly in in your projects. Um, what's your attraction to commentary on class in South Africa right now? I think with um, The Blessed Girl, which I think was my fourth novel, it was really interesting to witness uh, that phenomenon of, you know, the, the uh, sugar baby and sugar mm, daddy kind of dynamic. Yeah. dynamic yeah. and, and what was interesting to me was that, I, you know, I work with a lot of, a lot of young women. I'm surrounded by a lot of young women. And, you know, on the surface, it would, you know, there were a lot of causalities, uh, uh, theories around why this was happening. And so a lot of, so, so a popular kind of thread of thought was that this was caused by, you know, the, the imbalance in our social dynamics, the, the poverty trap. So there was a predominant thought that this was something where young women were trying to escape the poverty trap. But for me, what I had, what I was observing around me was that I had a lot of young women who were graduates and who really, some of them seemed to even come from middle class homes who were also drawn um, to the blesser lifestyle, the blesser blessy lifestyle. And so it occurred to me that there's just something 
deeper that is happening in South Africa beyond, um, you know, kind of the lazy assignment of this to, to the poverty trap. And yes, that is a genuine issue that does give rise to it, but there's more to it than that. And for me, in my exploration of the blesser blessy dynamic uh, and speaking to young women in the lifestyle and speaking to even a few men, but more informally with the men, because obviously <laughs> a, a lot of men would not want to speak about it or be, interv- be interviewed as a uh, bless us, but I did find the women much more forthcoming. And uh, my sense was that it also emanated from the uh, the instant uh, search for instant gratification, the search for instant millions, <laughs> instant social status. So it's status. necessarily an issue of desperation and destitution. It's people being attracted to bling bling. And they, th- and they think uh, uh, the blesser route is the, the way The blesser route is the easiest. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and I found that also social media had a lot to do with it. And mm-hmm. remember when I wrote it, as much as social media has exploded to a much higher level now, you have influencers literally living off of that lifestyle. Yep. Yep. Uh, but at the time, it was still kind of... It's in its infancy, but it definitely did have, and I, and I believe that the phenomenon, the blesser blessy phenomenon has created a certain aesthetic, like a lifestyle aesthetic that young women uh, aspire towards. And, and the women that are living this lifestyle, at first they were ridiculed as slay queens and so on, uh-huh. but, but there's also a very interesting shift that's happening where they are respected and 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 they're almost seen yeah. as, um, you know, just a legitimate kind of uh, uh, a gig that a person is chasing, like a legitimate yeah. way yeah. of of getting the bag, as they say. Yeah. So in it, in its in its infancy, it I think that phenomenon has ble- has birthed where we are now with you know in the influencer lifestyle being an actual an actual job that yeah. <laughs> that is respected mm-hmm. and there's less questioning i mean there's there's obviously still that skepticism that comes up when there's a fall of a slave queen mm-hmm. uh, because of the realization that a lot of this is for show it's for for us uh, to to envy and um, you know to wish that we we could be a, a part of it, but it's mostly for show. So a lot of it is just an illusion that yeah. is being put on. A lot of the cars are not really owned by you know the people yeah, and so on. You know the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, so yeah. so but it's also a very. I know it when I went. I've gone to other countries. I've gone to Kenya where. I mean, uh, in the early stages of The Blessed Girl, and people said, oh, we know exactly who Bunkle is, which is the main character. <laughs> uh, and they named a person. And uh, I, lo- Locally. Yeah, in, locally in, in Kenya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. somebody showed me a video of this girl, <laughs> and I can tell you, I, I've never been so gobsmacked because yeah. she literally spoke the way that I could hear Bunkle Tau, yeah. which is my yeah. protagonist speaks. She yeah. said the things that Bunkle would say, yeah. you know, and... And she presented herself in the way that Buntle would present herself. So there are Buntles all over. There's there are Buntles, Buntles all in Lagos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sure there's plenty of Buntles in Lagos. Plenty, plenty. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, now, um, so for the benefit of, of our listeners, um, before we got into the studio, we were talking about uh, critical but stable, uh, the life it has assumed, what's happening with that book. Can you... Status with um, when it came out in South Africa, how it was received. Now it's got a new cover. It's published in the U.S. Take us through that. Um, how 
Yeah. What were the dynamics involved? Yeah, so critical <clears throat> but stable. Um, borrowing from what you're saying about my focus on, on class dynamics, um, which I think we don't talk about enough here in South Africa, because I think you know, traditionally, class dynamics were about black and white. You know, the white people were, were the wealthy class and black people were the poorer and downtrodden class. Mm -hmm. And so obviously with um, our democracy and, and shifts in the, in, 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 in the economy and the rise of the black middle class, um, there's definitely a, a class system that has been emerging over the past, I would say, 20 years. And so Critical But Stable is another take on that. Um, and, and, and it is different. It's a shift from the Blessed Girl in that it, it, it focuses on four couples, married couples. Mm. Uh, most of them, their wealth is legitimate. <laughs> There's one or two where it's questionable. Mm -hmm. And I make that point because there is a big issue of you know, whether it's, we can debate whether it's, it's a legitimate assumption or not, uh, but there's a big issue where if black people are hugely successful, um, there's a big question mark on how yes, they how? gain that yeah, wealth. I know, I know. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what was important uh, to me uh, writing this book was not only asserting, you know, the fact that the, there's a lot of black people who are doing well for themselves and it is not through only ill-gotten gains. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is an important point because I think a lot of, a, a lot of well-to-do black people actually choose to stay away from social media mm. and not post and all of that because immediately uh, once one does that, it, it kind of explodes into how, how did they get it and a digging and, oh, yes, we knew this was too good to be true. So it was important for me, uh, firstly, to accept that, that there are hardworking people who have earned their... And they need to be acknowledged well, and celebrated. And yeah. celebrated mm. legitimately. Mm. Um, and then the, the other issue that I address with critical but stable is all is those uh, uh, the different dynamics in how then the black middle these guys somebody said they're not middle class they're above middle class mm, the mm. upper middle class relates to um, the people that work for them the the, the working class so mm. so your security your um, domestic workers um, and there's a very interesting dynamic around that in critical but stable uh, with one of the couples and how they relate to their their domestic help and then also the other issue that was very interesting for me to explore and quite important to explore was the issue of of Afrophobia or xenophobia, which mm -hmm, has mm -hmm. now, of course, exploded into something else um, that is now has, has been taken to the streets with uh, Oper Operation Tutula and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but also, because for me, what is interesting about the Afrophobia is that, firstly, obviously, that it's it is being meted out against you know, particularly black Africans and poorer ones at the and time. poorer ones mm -hmm. at that uh, mm -hmm. who are living in South Africa. <clears throat> And that it's completely ignored that there's other nationalities of a different hue who mm -hmm. are involved in, in illegal activities mm -hmm. that are completely like going on about their business mm -hmm. and not feeling that daily threat, um, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, that black Africans feel in South Africa at the moment. Mm -hmm. But the other part of the equation is that we do have porous border, borders mm -hmm. and that 
like there's a there's a character there in in the book in my book <laughs> who's extremely afrophobic um he's a security guard <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he witnesses he witnesses uh what he thinks is a crime uh-huh. uh it's actually it's it, this this book is a is a mystery a comedy a drama uh-huh. so it starts with a dead body of a married woman uh-huh. And we find out that you know this married woman is is probably is is likely part of the four couples that we get to know so well, mm-hmm. and that she was probably having an affair because you know her dead the dead body um, is being is being looked down at, like is being looked at uh, by somebody who is clearly a lover mm-hmm. to the person who mm-hmm. is lying dead in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got the security guard who thinks he's witnessed this crime. And mm. he is so elated because um, the person that he suspects is the perpetrator. And he is thinks a foreigner. Is a foreigner. <laughs> so he cannot wait. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because this is the day that he's been waiting for to see a foreigner fall, to see oh. the, down, the downfall of a foreigner. And oh. remember also... Um, this 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 gentleman, this this foreign man um, that he suspects uh, to have committed the crime, is living a life um, that is that that to him is something that he can only dream of. He can only mm-hmm. aspire to mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, because he's living in a in an upmarket uh, complex in you know the northern suburbs and all of that. Um, so it is important to kind of also not just brush away what 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 is at the heart of the issue that. Um, there are people who are saying, my goodness, I've been in this country for so long. I've toiled for so long. And I just, I, I cannot seem to make it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, and so, so I just feel that the issue is much more layered than what we would like it to seem. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. So tell us about critical but stable being released in America. Yes, uh, yes, sir. Yes, so, yes. So, um, so critical but stable and the 30th candle uh, have, bo- have both uh, uh, landed uh, publishing rights uh, from Lake Union, which is an imprint of Amazon. It's a book imprint of, of Amazon. Um, and uh, critical but stable will be released at bookstores in the U.S., the U.K., uh, Nigeria King at different parts of the world um, uh, by Lake Union uh, in November. So that's critical but stable. So it's currently available on the Amazon platform um, overseas as a short-term promotional uh, uh, activity just to get it out to Amazon subscribers uh, and to get the word out and create some buzz. Uh, but yes, it will officially hit the bookshelves in November. And then the 30th Candle, I've just finished. We were speaking with uh, Fred before the podcast about the interesting editing process that you have to go through when you're dealing with a an international publisher uh, versus the process that you go through with our local publishers. And they are equally thorough, the processes, but it's 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 in, it, what has been interesting for me is um, a, a specific focus on um, what they call bias. So I think as human beings, we all have... Uh, yeah, yeah, gender, yeah. race... And we have uh, blind spots, right? Yeah, we yeah, have blind yeah, spots. Yeah. 
um, that that we think we do not have, like mm. that, that we don't think are, are, are biased uh, when we put them to paper. Because, of course, as a writer, you do try to respect all your audiences, even when you're addressing difficult issues like, for instance, xenophobia or Afrophobia, mm. uh, like gender-based violence. And, of course, there's that um, balancing act of wanting your characters to sound as genuine as possible. Mm. So, you know, an abusive man will will use a, a lot of profanities mm. when fighting mm. with mm. A, a woman, right? Mm. But, so, for instance, it's not about trying to censor yourself and trying to make the person say, say, oh, my lady, I will beat you up slowly. Of course, they're not, because people don't speak like that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. in that heated moment, the character would still... you. So the kind of things that I fight for, for instance, Fred, is that I, I wouldn't want... In Afri- like a, co- a Kosa man uh, who's abusive, having a fight with his Zulu wife, but sounding like the perfect in- English gentleman. Mm, of course not. Yeah. Oh, so of course it's, I would not yeah, allow that. Yeah, yeah. But at the same doesn't time, doesn't ring true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so so we were talking about just those nuances. However, I am willing to. And to, to give respect to the fact that there's certain things that, because I'm not homosexual, for instance, I've got a lot of homosexual characters in my book, mm. um, I may not understand that something that I'm describing and I'm thinking that I'm describing it in a, in a, in a sensitive uh, a, a, a manner as possible may land differently um, when, mm. when being read by somebody who, who is, who is a, of a different sexuality sure, from sure, mine. Sure, sure, so, sure. so I did appreciate that process. I did fight for the things that I thought we're fighting for. Mm-hmm. And I did fight for issues of uh, cultural discrepancies, like that we are Africans and there's certain ways that mm-hmm. we do things and there's certain ways um, that may not make sense to you as somebody sitting in the U.S. or the U.K. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is how we do things. It may look or may sound odd or come across as odd, but this is what this character would do or say in this particular instance. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, congratulations on, on, on the you. U.S. publication of the book. Thank, thank, thank you. you. And uh, a little bird whispered to me the other day that Ooh, one of birdies. your books... Yeah, these birdies <laughs> are everywhere, you see. <laughs> that um, one of your books, I don't know if you are at liberty to speak about that, uh, one of your books is being adapted for the screen. Um, Tell us about that, if you are at liberty to. Yeah, it's actually it's actually three of the books, oh, finally. Okay, officially, okay. I can say that. Okay. Um, one has just wrapped production, but I'm not at liberty to say which one. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, two are going into development. Mm. And um, I'm very excited, but I still can't. There's something very exciting for me as an author that I will share with you offline. Um <laughs> That that normally doesn't happen. That I'm quite excited uh, is happening with this particular process. I mean, adaptations are are complicated things, mm, mm. and um, I think for the author, they're not always the happy ending that you may envisage it to be. Um, I think you do get flattered, of course, as an author when you're approached by a producer mm. or whomever uh, wanting to adapt your book for screenplay. But the reality 
of it is that with a lot of adaptations, um, authors uh, are not as involved in the process um, as maybe they would assume or I don't know if it's naively or if they are entitled to assume it. but, but yeah, so a lot of the times you're not as involved as you would like to be. And um, it may lead to, I don't know, just kind of some disillusionment in the way that things kind of roll out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm happy to say that with one, of, with one or two of the adaptations that are, you know, currently, um, you know, that are currently in, in process, I am, I am thankfully and very gratefully a little bit more involved um, okay. than, than, you know, um, a, a little bit more involved, which makes me feel acknowledged as the originator of the work. And I think, I know that uh, screenplay is different from novel writing. Sure. And I, I fully appreciate that uh, it's not always easy to involve an author because, you know, textual work is different from screen work. But but I, and I, and I think it's different. I don't know how you feel about this, by the way. I'd actually love to hear your thoughts. Um, I'm sure it's different for different writers. Well, I, I've never written a screenplay myself. But uh, I'm saying, yeah. if if your work were to be adapted for screenplay, mm-hmm. what would be your level of expectation in terms of your involvement, just broadly, just like the big stuff, not oh, yeah, the small I, stuff? I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to be a consultant. If, exactly. Yeah, yeah, at, 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 at the very least. Yeah, at hey? the very least, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not to watch from the sidelines. You yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> with, with some of these processes, I mean, with one of them, I've literally felt like, I'm just kind of like the little the kid that was just dragged from the street and said, "Hey, <laughs> what do you think of the World Cup? Oh, I think it should be held in South Africa. Okay, great, bye." <laughs> and then they go on and they host it in South Africa. They do everything, and yeah, then yeah, you you yeah. you get to see the game happen uh, a few years uh, later, and you're like, "But, but." <laughs> mine <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 no 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 but uh, we have to be kind of while we are grateful we have to be quietly forceful as writers to say this was our idea we need a steak a, a piece of, of of this cake as well but if we don't assert our right as as as, as producers of these things we they will run and uh, um They'll just continue dragging us around. and um, yeah, yeah, I've literally yeah. been told by a producer who's not really in, uh, involved in any of my works, but was just telling me as uh, a, a helpful, in inverted commas, bystander, that the conventional wisdom is get the writer to be as far away from this thing as possible. That's the <laughs> conventional wisdom. <laughs> because they're going to mess it up, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Stephen King started out like this, but now he owns everything. Yes. So he is involved. Yeah, even John yeah. Mayer locally, yeah. I, I yeah. think he's doing yeah. a great job yeah. of, of yeah. owning his work. Yeah. So we will yeah. get there. And I think also we also have to have an appreciation of the fact that some writers actually don't want they don't want to be involved, but oh, yes. uh, oh, but yes. but yeah. but uh, at least have license to say I don't want to be involved. Not yes. not not let yes. it be assumed yeah. that, yeah. or or at least lo- let it not be wished that you should be as far away from the yeah. thing as possible. Yeah, yeah. 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 Great stuff. Uh, there's so much to to talk about, but um, we want to thank uh, Angela for coming to our studio and uh, gracing us with her intellectual presence. Thank you for writing these books. 
people out there, the books are available at um, bookstores locally. You can buy them online. Yep. And as we are saying, they are being uh, given a new lease of life, uh, being uh, adapted for the screen. We just have to wait a bit to see the final result. But yeah. we need to celebrate, acknowledge our local writers because there's so many beautiful books being produced in this country. But it's just that we don't see them. We don't get to see them. Maybe it's the marketing, maybe it's the distribution, uh, but we have to push. Yeah, As readers push. out there, we have to push and acknowledge and celebrate the social media, celebrate local writing on your platforms. I couldn't have said it better. Uh, and uh, yeah, so thank you so much for having me, Fred. And thanks actually for starting this whole thing for us. You were the pioneer. I always tell you, I read a short story that, and he, and he can't even, Fred, you don't even remember the short story that I read <laughs> when I was young. I think I was about 15 or something. I read a, a short story of yours that was part of um, uh, a compilation uh, of short stories, a collection of short stories. And Ramu the Hermit, it must be. It must know? have been. In and, the finishing touch. And I, yes, I, I, yeah. So I read it and I loved it. And and only later did I realize that it's written by a black writer. And I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't think it possible. I, and, and I think <laughs> that's where a bit of the grain of thought that maybe this is something that I could do one day wow. uh, was planted. So thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very thank you. much. Thank yeah. you. Once again, this is Books and Beverages hosted by Fred Kumalo under the auspices of City Press.